You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. I have really good news for you guys. Today, I have submitted the manuscript for Prayers That Move Heaven and Shake Earth to my editor. I'm so excited because there are many, many people that have enjoyed and benefited from the prayers that we've posted to BrideMovement.com. This has been a major component of our ministry that has yielded great fruit. Just making prayers available, prayers that teach people how to pray, that provide templates, and also certain prayers that are very specific to ministry purposes, such as our freedom from falling from heavenly powers prayer and freedom from human persecutors prayer. And so what we've done is assembled a book called Prayers That Move Heaven and Shake Earth with many of the prayers from the BrideMovement.com website, plus a whole bunch of extra ones, adding extra value. And as it looks, this book may be available before the end of the year. I'm really pushing for that. And so I would appreciate your prayers, guys. I want to let you know that in the book that we are about to put out, there are additional prayers such as the morning prayer. There is prayer for children, a prayer for travel, even a prayer for pets, a deliverance 101 prayer, prayer for the spirit of man. There is a freedom from synthetic genetics prayer, folks. It is packed with all kinds of extra value prayers you've never seen before because we haven't published them to our website, but they will be available in this book. Uh, Some of you are going to be asking, are you going to take pre-orders, Daniel? The answer is yes. Once we know and we have an idea of when the book's going to be released and uh, we're going to be able to move into that phase where we will be taking pre-orders. And so I I just want to let you know. I also want to let you guys know that a lot of you reach out to us for coaching. You say, you you know, Daniel, who do you recommend for us to work with? Daniel, how can I connect with a a coach for uh, inner healing, deliverance, so on and so forth? Guys, we have a tab on our website at bridemovement.com. And it is so convenient because you just go to bridemovement.com. You scroll along the top. You will see a tab that says our coaches. And if you click that tab, you'll see a number of coach portals where, where you'll see the face of the person and, and, and you can click it. And then you'll find their information, information about them, some of the things they've done. Um, also, they all have a way now to book with them right from bridemovement.com so you can skip the hassle of, okay, how do I get in touch with them? How do I connect? Where's their email? Blah, blah, blah. It's all right there. We've made it so convenient. We're going to continue to add coaches that we're able to find them so that you have resources to um, help you get over some of the hurdles that you face in your journey with Jesus. So know that that is there. Also for the Fireplace Church, we have now moved the Fireplace Church tab to the top navigation of bridemovement.com. So every Sunday, and let me repeat myself, every single Sunday, just go to bridemovement.com, click the Fireplace Church tab at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and press the Join Now button. That's it. That's all it takes. You'll be taken to a little page. It'll say, put your name, email, and click Join. You can even say more join options beneath that. There'll be a phone number you can call in with a access code if you need to call in you can do it that way it's so simple we're going to continue to send emails that uh some of you will receive some of you will be receiving in your junk email or whatever because we're using mailchimp so be sure to check for that for those of you that have already been on the list but we are wanting you guys to just get used to going to bridemovement.com clicking the fireplace church and 
the join now button at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Sunday evenings. We're having such a good time. We've been in this series called The Office of the Judge, and I'll tell you, it's powerful stuff. With that said, I'm done. We're going to get to hope. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, we're sitting here today with Hope, and she has become a beloved guest of mine as many of you have journeyed with her as she has relayed her story, the events that happened in her life as she was programmed with Illuminati-level programming and then turned around and broke free with the power of Jesus Christ. She's joined me on a number of programs detailing components of her story on different angles, some looking at what happened in the physical, in the natural world. We've also done programs that focus more on what happened in the spirit. Today, she is joining me to talk about survivors, the church, and religious programming. Because... Some of us have a certain experience in church that's, well, untainted. But some of us, particularly if we've been the target of satanic ritual abuse, uh, we are navigating programming against God, against the church, uh, programming about who we are in the eyes of God that we don't even necessarily know exists. And this is uh, language that you don't quite understand. You certainly will by the end of this program. But before we get started, Hope, I just want to say welcome back to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Thank you so much, Daniel. I'm always just so excited to be with you and get to share more what the Lord is, is showing me and the things I've been through. Let's begin here because I, I, I'm really excited to talk about this uh, subject matter with you. And I, I think that you bring so much to the table on this subject. But you are going to be publishing a book and it is already in motion. Can you tell me and my listening audience about it? Absolutely. Um, I've written a book really pretty much from start to present of what I endured and what I went through um, as a, a gover- government-sponsored mind control uh, victim and now survivor. Um, and it gives you really all the details of what I went through, exposes a lot of the things that come into play in this culture today and things that people need to know about their agenda in uh, modern-day America and uh, it's just, it's really a must read for people to, to really be aware of how to pray and what's going on today and all the, uh, about how survivors are uh, tortured and programmed. And, you know, it's not just thousands, it's really millions of people that have gone through this. And um, as a church, you know, people have to know because we are uh, the ones that are calling people out um, to be set free. And um, so the name of the book is called To Tell the Truth. Um, it's exactly what the, the Lord, Papa God, told me to do. He told me to tell the truth and not to leave anything out. 
Um, you know, I've had a lot of people say, well, you're just doing that for shop value. And it's really sad for me to hear that because in reality, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with telling the truth about uh, the reality of what's going on in this world and the reality of what people have endured. Um, if we don't start talking about it, there's no way that people are going to get free. Um, and we have to bring it out into the light. Well, Hope, I just want you to know that I, for one, applaud you in your effort. I know how difficult it was and how many hurdles you had to overcome personally to um, write this book and finish this book, largely because um, you told me about the different stages as you were taking them. And so I'm, for one, very excited. And, you know, folks, we're going to be letting you know as our listening audience when the book is finally available. It's going to be a few months from now before it is being distributed, but uh, we are very excited with you, Hope. And with that said, uh, let's get started with this question. I am very aware that many survivors have a difficult time with the church, whether they know they're survivors or not. And I just want to open up the conversation with, you know, what was your experience like in the church before and after you began to understand the nature of the abuse you had endured? Absolutely. I, I am grateful to have the opportunity to, to share about this. Um, more than anything, um, what I see the church today doing is they're falling into the programming um, that the Illuminati and really the government and all the people that are involved in the evil that they're doing to um, to victims, I see them falling right in line with it. And the reason that is, is, uh, you know, the Illuminati, they, they, they really search out and they um, just go for everything they can get on how the church functions. Um, they know more scripture than most Christians know. Um, they really have done their homework in how the church works. Um, and they put, uh, they put victims in the church on purpose. Um, uh, they want the church to be afraid. Uh, they want them to be completely oblivious of, of what is going on, uh, how people are being tortured and controlled, um, and they're really wanting them to ha lack all power, um, and they want survivors to really be rejected once they do reach out to the church. Um, so, unfortunately, I have seen this kind of play out as I've gotten, you know, during the time that I was being programmed, um, and as I've gotten out, um, I've actually seen this really play out, unfortunately. Um, you know, people, uh, the Lord, I think it was in one of our sessions uh, one time when you were ministering to me, um, I was just like, just weeping about um, how that's kind of played out and how the heart that's been for me. And, you know, I just saw the Lord and he was weeping as well. And, and he pretty much just said, they just don't know. Um, it's not that he's angry or anything like that, but he wants all this to come out in the open because his churches, that's not who they are. Um, and so really, um, every survivor is programmed specifically against the church. Uh, 
you know, survivors think that the church has, re has rejected us, that, that we think that, that, that uh, they view us as evil and like we're the cause of all the problems in the church. Uh, so we're really programmed to think that, that we're an outcast. Um, and unfortunately, like I said, um, that's really what has played out because when we begin to, or in my situation, when I begin to share uh, what has gone on, they, their automatic reaction is people to be afraid. And unfortunately, the, the uh, enemy has caused the church to be um, some, in some ways worse than the regular culture. They had been probably received more um, in the the mainstream than I have in the uh, church, unfortunately. Um, but um, that's why I really am passionate. I really want the church to be aware of uh, the things that have been put in place and the way they're reacting so that they can know how to do things differently. It's so hard for survivors. And folks, I know that I get a lot of the stories of people that have, you know, woken up to a history of abuse that have uh, become aware and reached out to different religious bodies for help and tried to be honest. And it has backfired time and time again. I'm going to take a moment, Hope, and just kind of piggyback on some of the thoughts you opened up with with a few of my own. When survivors are coming to believers uh, in, in, in an attempt to look for help. A lot of times there is a great deal of rejection and pushback. This is absolutely true. And I have tracked several reasons why. One, people are afraid of what they don't understand. Right. And many times what happens with survivors is they try to explain what they've been through, what they've experienced, what's going on. And the language is scary because when believers begin to hear these stories, they feel very disenfranchised. They realize their, the vast uh, chasm between what they have available to them, what they know how to do and minister to, and what's required. And it's scary. And so rather than take on the challenge and turn to the Lord and say, well, Lord, what's your plan for this situation? Many go into fear and pushback. And this is heartbreaking. Um, it happens all the time. And it happens from people uh, that you know are well-meaning at times, but just mm -hmm. in fear. And Another reason why I've seen this happen is because of the programming itself. And sometimes survivors are going to people in the church that are respected or esteemed, not recognizing that that person is themselves a survivor. And mm -hmm. the stories that begin to be explained, told in the information requires pushback from the receiving person because if that individual is believed and received their information will begin to cause collapse to the integrity of the programming and the person that all of this is being confessed to and so many times when there are programmed leaders within the church their programming 
makes them shut down survivors so that it keeps everything under wraps. And this has happened to a lot of people as well. Uh, people are responding because their parts are on assignment to make sure that other survivors in the church do not come to conscious awareness of things. And right. that's frustrating. Um, another reason that I've tracked that people you know, have a poor response to survivors is because they um, may try to get their feet wet with helping a survivor and find themselves completely uh, unprepared for the backfire that mm -hmm. the kingdom of darkness will launch against them. Uh, many believers are called, <laughs> and I um, hate to use this word, but I love to use it at the same time because it's just true, ignorant absolutely ignorant of the devil's devices. They do not know what they're up against. And they don't want to allow the Lord to take them out of their uh, religious box so they become effective. Instead, they spend a lot of time criticizing effective people. Um, and I've been on the receiving end of that at times. But then they turn around and ask the survivors politely to please go away because they well, are inviting discomfort into these individuals' lives. And some of these are very lovely individuals as well. And so you have different reasons why survivors are being ostracized in the church and put in that outcast box. And it's really sad. And, um, you know, Hope, I'm very sorry that you've been through it. Well, I think, uh, I think that during my healing process, the Lord has showed me um, you know, it's a healing process on my side so that I can see the church in the, in, the, in the glory that it is, you know, see the body the way God intended it to be and not to actually have bitterness or, and, you know, unforgiveness, but to actually see them the way the Lord sees them. And I think that's why he showed me that in that, um, that ministry time that he just weeps because they don't know, they truly don't know, they don't aren't aware or they've been programmed or, you know, their mind can't comprehend. So I think it's like the education and the, like, um, that the, actually the dream that the Lord gave me actually goes along exactly with what you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, if, do you want me to share that? Yeah, please go ahead and share the dream, Hope. So it was a really profound dream what... Um, what the Lord showed me is that um, I was actually invited to a church, and I was invited to the church with my spiritual uh, mom, and the Lord showed me that that really was the Holy Spirit, and He had invited me to the church to share what had happened to me and to share what He wanted me to share. So I started sharing, um, and I got it to, you know, just a little bit into it, a couple minutes into it, and they stopped me and said, you know, we really need to move on. And um, they they didn't want to hear anything else. So I walked out of the church with my spiritual mom, which was the Holy Spirit. And as I walked out of the church, I saw a huge, huge waterfall. Like, uh, you know, the the you hear about the mighty rushing waters and how that's his voice. You know, I saw this, so I walked up to the top and I stood on a, um, just like this little platform and I started to tell my story and lots and lots of people started coming 
out and listening and what the Lord was just showing me as um, kind of giving more insight in, on it is that, you know, that that waterfall, his voice, that's what it's going to take to show people how to handle all of what's really going on, you know, in this world. It's going to take his Holy Spirit and his voice really partnering, you know, instead of just making that judgment or... Um, feeling that fear, like what you said, just saying, okay, Lord, why am I feeling this fear? Why am I making this judgment? Uh, what do you want me to know about this person and what they're sharing? And kind of go past that that denial, you know, stay and push through it and actually hear the Lord on what he wants to do. Hope, I want to talk about the way they prepared you to not be able to enter into the presence of God, to um, not be able to receive what God actually had for you within the church to um, poison you against who God is. And uh, there's so much that you have to share on this subject. So I want to begin with programming with music what is musical programming what did that mean to you absolutely so um from you know from infancy what they start to do is uh, start to introduce uh hymn hymns um anything um as far as any type of christian music um they they will play those during the ritual so that when we hear those when we go to church you know like when I would go to church I would hear that and it would automatically bring all that fear and that torment and that terror uh, of what had happened in the ritual right back and be a reminder uh, of these people can't be trusted these people can't um, you know think you're evil uh, for example I'll just give an example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, say the, you know, that after the torture, when when we see the people in the church and they're singing this song that we've been tortured about, it's like they're happy about what we had gone through, and that's wow. what what the enemy and what the Illuminati wants us to to believe is that they are actually rejoicing and celebrating that we were tortured. Um, I'll give you an example, like the hymn, Love Lifted Me, you know, it's all hymn. Um, for me, love, just the word love always meant torture. It meant um, if you spell love backwards, it's E-V-O-L, which represented the electrocution and the torture to my head, like the, the electric shock that I went through. Um so, you know, they're singing about love lifting me, and that in my, my mind, I'm thinking they're saying, I need to be tortured. I should be tortured, and they're rejoicing that I'm going to get tortured. Um, and, you know, that is what I need. And they're, they're, they're agreeing, you know, what, what, with what was done in the rituals. So, uh, you know, there are so many words were used, like me 
meant master executioner. Uh, that's what it stood for, and that's what they labeled one of my parts. And uh, so if they would say, love lifted me, like, well, that part specifically needs to be tortured. Um, so they're, it just reinforces that program that the church is against me, and the church was actually part of all the things that they were doing. So then I wouldn't trust, you know. And so how did it work for you as you journeyed this from your youth and into, you know, your late 20s and when some of the stuff began to break down? What was the transition like when you began to realize they programmed you with this worship music? How was it being in that atmosphere of worship before and then during and after some of this began to come to the surface? Well, I mean, before there were denial parts that just would take over and completely just numb out and um, just play the part, play the part that they, you know, pray that a good little girl that sings the songs and acts pretty and acts good around everybody um, and just do what I'm told to do. Um, as the programming started to break down, I would just get uh, very upset, like inside, just uh, very angry, um, uh, just very, uh, like I couldn't stay in the room uh, when it was playing, and then all the memories would start rushing back. Uh, now I can stay in the room, and I do, you know, I do see memories, but I'm able to to, to handle it in certain songs and things like that I'm able to actually sing now um, it, but it's still difficult um, but I guess just being you know for the church just to be aware that a normal song for everybody else that's worshiping they've used as a, a way to cause a division um, and to cause uh, an them not to be able to really connect, you know, with us. So just being aware is huge, I think. See, and folks, this is why we have these conversations, because these are things that are very important for, I, I believe, people, leaders to understand. And sometimes it's just a simple I understand and the I believe you. That yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. That just closes that gap that the programming creates through, well, all of these things. So, uh, okay. We talked about programming with music. Hope, what did they do in your experience with the communion? Well, communion was used in a, a really huge way because it's so powerful. You know, it represents the body and the blood of Jesus. And um, so when they would, they knew whenever we would go to church, there would be communion, of course. Um, so what they would do, they would tell us when they did a ritual um, they always would make us eat someone's body and drink someone's physical blood, of course, 
um, and they would begin to speak curses over the church um, and say that uh, the church was our enemy and they would remind us of how evil we are continually um, by taking the communion. So anytime we went to church, their whole sole purpose was to remind all the victims of what they have done and all the bad that they had done and remind us that we are the ones that Jesus didn't, you know, he didn't choose us. Because, you know, if Jesus is the sacrifice and he died and rose again, then, you know, you don't have to actually eat a person and eat, drink the blood. But because we were people that Jesus didn't choose to die for, you know, they said they had, we had to supply a sacrifice for, for us. And um, so they, it was like a reminder. The church was like reminding us that we were less than and that we were um, these horrible, evil killers that had to have an extra sacrifice, you know, and remind of the terror that we saw in the rituals. Wow. And with this running in the background... What do you remember communion being like for you before you became aware that you were programmed this way? I I do remember being always feeling like everybody's looking at me like they all everybody here hates me like but I didn't understand why I was feeling that way because I hadn't fully allowed you know all that hadn't come up to the surface and just feeling really feeling like a just terror like nobody really would have known that around me but just feeling just scared and like somebody's trying to you know these people are trying to destroy me kind of feeling that way but not really understanding why I felt that way Mm. Um, and then you know as I started to the memory started surfacing I mean there was a time where I couldn't do even take communion um, because it just was too overwhelming this wasn't even something that that I could do and you know a a lot of the teaching about communion within the church is that you know he wants us to tell him all our sins you know before we're good enough to that's kind of that's not what's meant but that's kind of the way we perceive it because Mm -hmm. that's what we were told so the teaching kind of goes along with the programming that they did because you know that's what we felt like is you know i have to get rid of all these sins before i can go to the lord you know and and um be good enough to do this and i just really won't ever be but um and so that, that teaching kind of has gone along with, they knew that that would go parallel with that programming. Right. Um, since then, I actually, something that was really healing for me as I've listened to Joseph Prince and kind of his, his perspective on that scripture yeah. and how he, you know, because he, you know, describes his grace really good. And he was talking about how, that's not really, I mean, it was actually a gift to us, and it wasn't a, I've got to 
make sure I get all these sins confessed before I can do this. It was more of like a gift. He, he was just saying, you know, just remember how what I did for you. Like this is this is for you, like not me inwardly going, oh, I'll never be good enough. So that was actually healing, you know, along with the ministry and getting freedom from all the the uh, memories. That's so powerful. And and folks, this is where the takeaways begin to uh, come in. You have to realize that you are sitting among people when you go to a church. And, and let me tell you, like Hope said, she, she is not an isolated case at different degrees and to different extents. Many people in America and other countries around the world have been intentionally programmed and cult activity has expanded its reach and impact over the past, you know, hundred years, decades. You know, it's it's been um well, extensive what's been done. And when you have a church full of people that have been, you know, through different things and programmed to different extents, that is going to affect the way people respond to teaching to the Bible. And the programming present in a person may cause them to react one way to something that doesn't seem to be quite logical. Mm-hmm. And there's a very real reason why that's happening. And um, I don't know. I, 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 I just find some of the things that you're sharing extremely helpful, Hope. I want to ask you about the Lord's Prayer. What did they do with that one? Well, as far, as far as the Lord's Prayer, they actually took every line of that and did a ritual around it. So they kind of, what they did is they, they acted out the Lord's Prayer, but used a ritual for every piece of it. So then when we would go to church and somebody would be saying, or they would have us say it all together, then it would bring back every piece of that ritual um, so, for example, like the beginning, it says, Our Father, which art in heaven. They would do a ritual where our pro- that our Father always meant the programmer or the one that was in charge, um, who art in heaven. And heaven always meant that that was a place we couldn't get to. Um, that was a place we weren't allowed to go. And so normally would be separated out uh, from heaven and you know our programmer would say if you're good enough you can get to heaven Um, but you have to do this this and this Um, and it always pertained to the church you know you have to normally they would torture somebody and say that we had to hurt someone um, or we had to do something, and, and they, it would always be about a, a different way to curse and to try to destroy the church. So really, every time that I hear the Lord's Prayer, it's like living out a ritual, you know, verse by verse. You know, just kind of reiterate, reiterating that we're not legitimate children. The uh, absolute push 
for shame, guilt, and condemnation. That seems to be present in all of the ways they perverted uh, church things is so prevalent in what you're explaining, Hope. And, you know, this is something that God has definitely dealt with me on quite a bit. But I'll tell you, God does not trade on shame, guilt, and condemnation. Mm -hmm. He does trade on conviction, but not on shame, guilt, and condemnation. But religion and certain preaching styles put such an emphasis on shame and guilt and condemnation and clean up your life otherwise you're going to hell and god you know you're not good enough and this it it and they make it seem very very correct it's like this is the right way to be a christian because you know christians are supposed to be holy and righteous right but this absolute push for the shame guilt and condemnation message is a reinforcing of programming for survivors um without a question and and the truth is that um, I believe, unfortunately, a lot of people that make big pushes in this area have not come to an understanding of what grace actually means, which is one of the reasons why the first discipleship class that we developed at Broad Ministries was grace, followed by in Christ, the kingdom, uh, because understanding that grace is not just unmerited favor, but it is divine influence upon the heart, the finished work of Jesus Christ, God's ability. Uh, it has more definitions than just unmerited favor. Is really, really big. It's very important. And until we understand grace, we actually don't understand what we are operating in in Christ. Uh, much more, many Christians don't realize, wait a minute, I am already in Christ because of what he did and not because of what I've done. That means that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus simply because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That alone changes the way the game is played because many believers, believe it or not, it's it's a very, you know, God's up there, I'm down here, let me be good enough so he can take me up there when I die kind of perspective. Totally wrong. And um, But yet it, oh my goodness, does it resonate with the programming and reinforce it. And so the shame, guilt, condemnation style of preaching I have found is ex- extremely destructive, not only to, um, you know, well, your average person, uh, because I think it poises them against intimacy. This is me talking at this point. But it is absolutely reinforcing what survivors have been programmed to believe. And it maintains a chasm and a barrier between people and the love and joy and acceptance of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I, I'll go. I, I'll totally. I I really really believe that without a doubt. I mean, there's been times where the Lord said, "I don't want you to listen to anybody right now, as far as preachers on TV or preachers on the radio, because I, just to try to find somebody that really really." preaches in, in grace um, was was so hard um, and with me I was so programmed that I was a monster you know that I was evil that I was a, a demon I was the devil all those things that when people I mean even in the rituals they would say now repent that you were abused or repent that you were raped or repent that you um you know, just repent for every little detail. And so 
all of that, when I would hear any of that, or the, even the forgiveness piece, it would send me right back into the programming of trying to, um, y- you know, trying to be that p- p- perfect little princess that they said I had to be and had to um, forget everything that was going on. So it very much reinforces the, the programming. Hope. I want you to tell me about what they did with prayer. Well, this is a huge one. Um, there's been layer after layer um, that the Lord has shown me, even just this past week, uh, about prayer and what they they have done with that. Um, I remember specifically, I would have to kneel, um, and I would have to, like, tell ask the lord over and over and over which literally i was having to ask the programmer um to all the different details of the person please protect their their you know their their arms or their head or their um their heart or their feet and if i left out anything like say I forgot to pray for their toes or I forgot to pray for their fingers, then they would cut those off um, or they would torture those parts and say, see, if you don't pray for every single little detail, then this is what's going to happen. So prayer for me was a really a torture. I um, happened to be perfect and ask for every little thing, or if I didn't, someone was going to get tortured. So it's like when people would ask me, um, can I pray for you at church? Like, it, it was a terror feeling, because instead of pray, P-R-A-Y, it was always P-R-E-Y. That means that we would have to be the ones to pray on someone else. Um and, you know, even though it was forced, it was hideous. The, the worst things that ever happened to me were the things that I was forced to do because it went against the heart that Jesus put in me and his spirit. And it, it literally ripped me, you know, on the inside because it was so, you know, hideous to have to, to be forced to do those things, you know, and it, the, the enemy, the Illuminati, and their biggest goal is to destroy, you know, just to hurt Papa God, to hurt him, and the best way to do that is to hurt his children, and so anything to torment or terrorize or torture us is what they focused on. So even now, when I, when I try to pray like I'll be so really really detailed and just like kind of um, it's kind of a compulsion that I have to step back because I'll be so worn out because you know there's still some fear that needs to be worked through um, in different parts that were forced to to pray um, you know or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it wasn't to God to the real Papa God um, so he's just continuing to heal that. And I think more than anything is like the church to see that 
even them saying, I'm going to pray for you, might bring up really, you know, terrible, tormenting thoughts. Um, but it's just like when you, when we are in ministry, Daniel, and you'll talk about like a line of the tribe of Judah. For me, that was a safe name for him. And it, it's like the Lord has to give people um, just revelation, really, um, of what is going to help um, survivors to see who he is and to see what prayer means. And, um, and it's, you know, it's going to just really cling to Papa God to find those answers and, and not try to do it in their own strength. Yeah, and this is where uh, knowing some of the other names of God in the Bible is particularly helpful. Uh, many counselors have noticed that referring to Jesus or Yeshua as the Lion of the tribe of Judah is much more redemptive for some survivors than Jesus. And we're about to talk about why. Uh, and I think that's actually a great transition into the next subject I, I do want you to touch on, Hope, uh, which is false trinity programming and programming, you know, um, with fake Jesus, fake Holy Spirit, fake Father God. What did that look like for you? Well, for me, gosh, it came in so many different forms. I mean, it was from infancy on that they did that from the very infancy. They would send somebody in the room and say that it was God or send somebody in the room and say it was Jesus. Uh, for me, Holy Spirit, they always says said was sexual. It was always had to do with sex it, you know, because, you know, it's not really a physical form. So they, they always paired the Holy Spirit with sex. Um, and any feelings of sex was always paired with the Holy Spirit. So there was always of like, I can't get close to the Holy Spirit because I'm going to have these hideous sexual feelings. And, you know, and so um, really everything about who they were, even like being in a room and they would put over the loudspeaker, they would say it was God's voice and he was speaking things to me. Um, and so God's voice uh, was always the person that was programming me. Um, Jesus was always for me, was whomever, whomever they chose to pair me with, to, uh, that I had to have sex with, that had to be like um, the person that controlled me outside of the programmer. Um, so really everything about their name and who they are was was perverted. That's why during my healing process, the Lord, um, He gave me honest Jesus as is as honest you know, as Jesus's name because He showed me in my healing that He's always honest, like He always tells the truth, and it's, it's I'm sure He's going to reveal Himself in in a specific way to each survivor. Uh, of what's, you know, it's take layers and layers and layers of, uh, of healing in order to be able to see that he's good and, and not to get discouraged in that because he will do it. 
Um, and then as far as for me, God, he um, provided a spiritual papa for me that I learned really to call him Papa God because I kind of learned what a papa should be like. Um, and so I think it's having experiences because when every experience about God and about Jesus has been torture or rape or, um, you know, everything evil, then you you have to learn through experience that he's something else. This is so well put. And it's, it's so interesting. You know, I'll, I'll sit down with people and maybe they haven't, come to the place yet where they've even realized they are a survivor. I meet people at all different stages of their healing journey and we may get on the subject of who Jesus is to them and a person that's had fake Jesus programming may simply suffer, struggle with the deep distrust of Jesus Christ. It's like I identify with God the Father maybe because that wasn't part of their specific programming. But Jesus, I don't really get Jesus. I don't trust Jesus. I don't know. I just have a bad I, – I, I have a really hard time with that. It, that. That'll be their language at first. But then, well, there may be some memories later on in their journey that begin to come back and they understand, oh, that's why it was so hard for me to identify with Jesus. I've worked with survivors, and this one's very interesting. I may be working with a little part of them, and I'll say, you know, well, do you know who Jesus Christ is? And the the little part on the inside of the person will say, yes, he's the one that has sex with you. Yeah. So that will be very telling because that's the fake Jesus programming. They love to do these things, mm -hmm. and it's, well, it's so that they can defile a person's perspective Perspective of who Jesus is to them, it, deep within their subconscious, you know, as, as close as they can get to the very core of who that person is, to put them at odds with God. And, um, you know, we could go on and on, but I, you know, there's a few other things I want to get to, Hope, because I really want to hear you talk about um, the altar. And many ministers will do this thing where. You, and, I, and, you know, I've done it, right? You say, come up to the altar for prayer. So you have people respond after a message and they come forward and they may come forward to receive salvation or they may come forward to receive prayer for physical healing or whatever the ministry is. And, well, they also have altars in cults. And oftentimes those altars are used to worship false gods, to uh you know, slaughter sacrifices and so forth. And so, Hope, I want to ask you about your experience with altars, um, not alter parts of a person's humanity, but an altar is in the, you know, actual object. Yes. Um, well, when it comes to the altar in the church, um, I would say 99.9% .9 or even 100% um, those people are going to try to do whatever they can to um, pervert or defile that altar within the church, mm. like the church that you go to, um, because they want to rob any power that might be going on or any prayer that might be going on there, anything that uh, the real Papa God is doing there because they they know that it's powerful i mean they see the altar that they have and when they do sacrifices on that altar and people are killed 
that's how they get their power and they channel in the demons. Um, so for a survivor, when we go to church, we really can't differentiate between the altars and the ritual and the altars in the church. It's the same thing. So it's like when we go to church, it's like that altar is there and all we see is that those people getting killed there. And especially if physically there have been rituals done in that church, mm. um, it's going to represent that everybody's there and everybody knows what happened and everybody is in on it. Um, so when people will go up and pray um, at the altar, uh, they're actually thinking about what we did and if they cry or anything like that, they're mourning and they're you know, sad because of all the evil that we did. So it's really just a reminder over and over of the things that we were forced to do. Um, but they physically want to defile that church altar, and they also want it to be a reminder to to the victims that um, something evil has gone on there and everybody knows about it. So, you know, when we look at the church, we just think they're in on this. I mean, I always was told over and over when we would actually, they would actually take me to church. Everybody in here is going through the same thing. We just come here and, you know, we do this, we do this act. It's like our, um, you know, it's our, it's our gift to Satan. We're, we're going to act that, um, and then we're going to go and do all these other things. So I just thought everybody went through that. I didn't have any clue that anybody went through anything different. So interesting. And, you know, I've seen some very strange things um, go on because they definitely do send an agent to the church that will do funny things like go up to the altar and begin to do satanic hand signs mm -hmm. to call demons into that area to prevent ministry from going forward or to defile it. Uh, it, it <laughs> I've seen some stranger things than that. Um, anyway, yes. And normally, mm -hmm. you know, they'll send programmers up to the altar to speak in tongues, which is really not a real tongue. It's a demonic tongue. And so I think part of, you know, as children of Papa God, we have to have that discernment and know the difference between real tongues and uh, demonic tongues. Because normally when they're doing... Uh, demonic tongues is to program and to cause torment and to cause fear in the, the victims that are there to um, to remind them of what happened on the altar. Mm. So, you know, a huge part of, of the church being able to be helpful in all this is also asking for discernment because, you know, these people they ask for demons to protect them and to make them look like everybody else. I mean, they call in the demons to, you know, disguise them and make them look different than what they look like and to have a demonic mask on so that nobody can see through it. Yeah, and, you know, this is where practical conversation begins to take place because 
Unfortunately, a lot of ministers don't even realize what they're up against. This is a f fact of the matter. So, I mean, some of them are programmed and they're definitely uh, positioned by the powers of darkness within churches that they have a foothold in. And, but others are, are just well-meaning individuals and they don't teach you this stuff in Bible school. They actually do not tell you this is what's going to be going on in your body, your church, once you start mm -hmm. planting something or, or get hired somewhere or whatever. And so... Uh, one of the things that I found to be true is that when the minister addresses the spiritual environment from the pulpit, it is possible to shut down just about all of this activity as long yeah. as a minister is walking in the authority of Jesus Christ within a few minutes. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes an act of establishment of order in the house by declaring the word of the Lord over that house and sh specifically shutting down evil agendas that the uh, minister may be able to discern or just have knowledge are probably going to be occurring. And um, so, you know, this is this is not the kind of information that a person should take and be like, oh, my gosh, church is like the most unsafe place on the planet. Well, no. Uh, as a matter of fact, people from the, uh, you know, congregation can be praying to shut down evil power that's trying to be brought into the church just by praying under their breath and blessing that house in the name of Jesus. And so uh, the more we know, the more equipped we are to deal with this stuff. And that's, well, at least that's my opinion. Um, hope. Yeah, I agree. I One thing that I will let you know is um, after I got out, there were a couple programmers that had uh, were in a church that I was at, and um, I was giving my testimony, and I had really been praying the warfare, and because I knew the discernment and all the different things that they were sending, I just started praying. They had to get up and walk out because um, I, I think it's really important, like you said, not to walk in fear, and not to think, well, you know, this is an unsafe place. We have the power. But if we don't know, then how are we going to use the power? Like, it's like saying, you know, walking around with blinders on. Uh, that's my whole purpose for telling people. It's not so people walk in fear or just be looking at under every rock for an evil person. It's so that we'll walk without blinders and be aware of our surroundings because if we're willing to see it, he's going to show us um, and he's going to make it aware and he's going to show us what to do. It's just that we have to be aware. You can't walk in denial and expect to, um, you know, be victorious. It's just another level of fear. So now I hope many survivors are able to see pretty well in the spirit um, as a result of all the things they've been through, programming doors open, so on and so forth, um, which always is, is, is very interesting to uh, listen, you know, when, when, when survivors begin to speak about the things they're seeing, perceiving, discerning. And can you talk about if you've ever had an experience of seeing different ministers in the spirit as they go to speak and, and, and how the, the differences can be perceived um, 
say one person walking closely with the Lord and in heaven's authority versus someone that 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 isn't yes absolutely I mean it it's um I think because of all the things that we were opened up to as a survivor um you know I I see specifically in the spirit like when there's a demon that's manifesting around a pastor um I remember specifically um when you were speaking one time and I saw it was like the enemy was trying to take this foot and just squash everything you were doing. But it was like this huge angel just came in and just like totally destroyed it. Um, because that you walk in authority and you know who you are and you know, your um, just what you carry. And um, so there's a huge difference in what I see like say it was somebody like you or somebody that uh, was was up there and I would be seeing them being, you know, um, pierced with, with knives and things like that um, because they were being tormented so that they couldn't either bring, through, bring forth what they were supposed to bring forth or they weren't aware of what was coming against them or they didn't know who they were in, you know, Papa God. So yeah, you could definitely tell a huge difference. Hmm. Wow. Um, Hope I'm going to now come back to some of the, some, some of the programming elements because uh, there's still a few that we need to get to. I want to let you talk to people about uh, the next one being the cross and what they did with that symbol. Yes. Um, so every time that we see a cross, um, and this has been programmed from the time, the first time that we saw a cross, which they, they incorporate that into rituals, even in infancy. And they just would say, do rituals and say over and over that Jesus didn't die for us. And then we, he requires us to die. Um, and so from the very beginning, when we see a cross, it's just a reminder that we weren't good enough for Jesus to die for us. Um, that we are not accepted and we're not loved. It's really a, a feeling of rejection. Um, and anytime you'll find a lot of survivors, um, well, a lot of people that are still being or, or victims, I was always made to wear a cross. And it was a, a reminder that I wasn't chosen by Jesus, that I had to work all the time, that I continually had to work um, because he didn't choose to die for me. There always had to be a sacrifice, somebody else to, the, to, to die instead of uh, as a sacrifice. So it was just another form of intimidation and fear and torment um and then um they use the cross to do sexual things as well uh, you know uh, you know rape you with cross and uh just say you know it's jesus and that jesus is raping you um and then of course it's turned upside down so it's an upside down cross so it's like a sacrifice to satan when they do that um, and then a lot of times, uh, they would make 
the person that they paired us with that was Jesus, um, they would make them rape us with a cross um, because then it was like that we were becoming the sacrifice. Um, so it was just continually, it was always perverse. It was always a reminder of pain and suffering and that we're not good enough. So they lay down all of this foundation and then a person comes to God to get free and it becomes a journey to overcome all of this and really it's just one um, booby trap and trigger after another. Yes. Oh my gosh. And um, folks, this is one of the reasons why we're having this conversation. As ministers, as lay ministers, as people that listen to this program, you know, you, you may be uh, coming into contact with survivors or there may be people around you or in your community that are awakening to this fact. Um, these are kind of things that you want to know because your sensitivity to another person's brokenness is an open door for the redemptive power of God to flow. Insensitivity inability to listen or to believe a person who's genuinely trying to tell you the truth of what happened to them, um, the lack of capacity to show compassion for this kind of criminal activity that's being been perpetrated on others um, really reinforces what the enemy has seeded into these people. And, and uh, the more aware you are the easier it is to, you know, step into the opinions of Jesus Christ and to say, you know, Jesus, how do you want me to respond to this person? Oh, this is actually what's operating beneath the surface. Okay, well, how can I be sensitive to that? How can I demonstrate that you actually do care about them? Um, you know, these are some of the right questions to ask. And so, you know, Hope, uh, what else would you like to um, speak to at this point? Well, uh, another thing that comes to mind is, is like Christian conferences and um, things like that. They specifically send victims to Christian conferences and schools and um, camps and things like that. I mean, I was sent to so many conferences um, and they will torture you around the the people like normally they'll have a picture of the person that's going to be speaking and torture you around that so you don't actually hear what they have to say and they do rituals to um, to cause division in the conference cause people not to be able to hear not to be able to perceive or to um, soak in anything cause distractions and you know all of that to cause things um, to where it doesn't it just doesn't work to where it's constant. And that's why I just want people to know within the church, because if we're aware, then all you have to do is pray. And uh, you come into agreement with each other, but unless we're willing to acknowledge that it's true and that it's really going on, you know, it's there's not just hundreds of thousands of people all over the world that have the same types of memories um, that don't even know each other. Um, this is this is going on. It's not just coincidence, you know. 
What is the Illuminati response to a praying church that is moving in power within their city or region? Well, normally that's who the Illuminati, that's who they try to target the most. Uh, one thing, as I was praying about, uh, you know, what to share here, one thing that um, they do specifically target is the finances of the church and the people in the church because if they can get to that foundation then um, you know it takes away some of their power as well um, so they would do rituals and they normally would just continue to curse their finances they would uh, do a human sacrifice and uh, all the victims get them in agreement because Anytime an agreement is made, there's always some form of torture or, um, you know, to where you're forced to make an agreement. And they use that choice to fuel the demons and cause the demons to, to, to be more powerful. So, for example, what they would do is put a, a person on the altar, sacrifice that person, and then begin to... It's like uh, in in electric electrical waves suck out the finances from the church, and ask the victims. Um, not ask, that's the wrong word. Force the victims to come in agreement with it. So then that has a there's a legal right there. There's a um, open door like an open portal. So they they funnel out the the finances. Of the church. Wow. And you know, that makes so much sense, Hope. And I remember, I mean, at the beginning of this year, you know, Bride Ministries definitely came under huge attack. I mean, we were attacked from everywhere, slander, libel, you name it, we got it. Mm -hmm. My inner circle was basically struck with division. Um, it was a lot to navigate for me personally. And at the end of the day, um, our finances wound up getting hit at, as well. And, you know, it, a lot has, has come back around. But I, I know for a fact, and I even remember one person came to me and said prophetically, I heard them talking in the spirit about how to stop you. And they said, your personal finances can't be touched, but they are coming against the finances of the organization because you're not the only doorkeeper on that because there's a lot of other people involved and we have a lot of survivors in our midst and so um they definitely came against that with everything they had and i will uh i mean i'll tell you <laughs> oh man um you know praise god that they couldn't touch my personal finances one of the reasons why is because i give i'm a big giver uh, people, I, I love it when people come to me and they ask the question, oh, well, you know, tithing isn't in the New Testament. I'm like, you don't know what you're up against, guy. Like, mm -hmm. if you're not giving, you are really positioning yourself for a, a, uh, a problem should things heat up. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, so I just praise God for his faithfulness. But I, I, I can definitely attest to what you are saying, Hope, and what else do they target besides finances? Well, they always go for the leaders that the leaders that are uniting people. Mm -hmm. um, what they do is they ask the demons to scan, like do like a scan, and the re the way they're able to do that is through the electrical currents. 
So they'll ask the demons to go through the electrical currents and do like a scan of the person. And it actually gives them demonic insight on the person. Um, now, if a person has already prayed against all those electrical currents, then they can't do anything with it. And that's what the Lord has really been showing me lately. But um, they scan them and they find out their weaknesses. And then they begin to do rituals and curse and and really come against those specific weaknesses. Um, and if they can't find a weakness in that person, then they'll target their spouse or their kids any weakness, um, and they, that's what they're looking to, to find so they can pray against that. My goodness. Um, so folks, uh, that gives you a little window into what we're up against here at Bride Ministries. I, uh, just want to say, however, that, you know, Hope, the, the, the beautiful thing is that they do a lot of what they do out of fear because this is one thing I am completely convinced of. The powers of darkness are very much in fear of a group of people coming to a united awareness of who they are in Christ and beginning to act on that authority within their community, within their city, and without succumbing to their resistance. Um, because at the end of the day, Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, and that authority is able to be revealed through his people. And they do not have that authority, no matter how high they go, even to the pinnacle that is Satan himself. He does not have more power than Jesus. Right. And they know the power that the church has. They know that. And so that's why they specifically want to divide and conquer because they know that that the church is very very powerful when they're united um so that's why you're seeing so much division you know in churches is because that's their one of their main goals is to cause uh division because if they can divide it then they can conquer conquer it and um you know and if they can cause the church to kind of turn against each other and to be really in denial about what's going on around them, then it's, it's, it's easy for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have all the power and that's, that's what I want. My main goal is, is not to, you know, it would be, ridiculous to tell everybody about all of the stuff that they do and then not just say but but God because he you know Papa God has all the answers and he can help the church uh, be exactly who they are and and do what they want to do it's just being aware you know being aware of what's going on and taking that you know unifying and taking that power that he's given Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, on that point, Hope, I want to invite you to actually close our program in a prayer. Um, a prayer for some of the things that you have addressed in this program. And a, a prayer for God to move on some of these areas and issues. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. 
Papa God, I just right now, I just cry out to you. I know you want this more than I want it or that anybody else wants it. And so I just ask that you would open the eyes of your people. Lord, any demonic spirit that blinds them to from the attacks on their church, on their family, um, anything that blinds them to the evil that's going on in this world and the ways that they're, they're being destroyed and um the way their finances are being come against, the way um, the evil people that are in their, their midst, Lord, that you would reveal that, that they would stick really close to you and that you would begin to show them, Lord, all they have to do is say yes. And I ask that you give them the ability to say yes and destroy the spirit of fear over them, destroy the numbing demonic spirits that have been spoken over them, uh, destroy all of the, um, just the voodoo and, and different things that they have said over the church to cause them to really walk in, in like a stupor, in a, uh, a numbness or like a uh, comatose state. I just come against that by the blood of Jesus. And I say, church, arise and awaken um, in Jesus' name because the Lord has a mighty work for you to do. And he has millions of people that he wants you to reach out to and to rescue and to believe and to um, stand with and to hear and to give grace to. And so I just speak grace over every member of your body, Lord, and I speak the ability to see the truth and the willingness to see the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Beautiful prayer. Hope, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for joining me on the program today. Um, thank you for writing your book, folks. I want to remind you, Hope will have a book. It'll be out in a few months. We're going to let you know when that happens. We're excited about it. And we're out of time. So until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.